Well, Christmas is almost here. How are you all feeling with that? I hope good. Uh, some of you might be like, no, I'm not finished with the shopping or whatever you got to do. But I love Christmas. I always have. I always enjoyed getting up on Christmas morning and opening my coal up that my parents always got me. I thought that was what all kids got for a while. No, I'm just kidding. I, I loved it. I, I grew up getting uh, wonderful things, wonderful gifts, just like every other kid. I, I loved opening those uh, gifts and I got some really cool toys over the years, I must say, and you probably did too, but today, you know, toys are are a little bit different than they were a a little bit ago. VTech makes a touch and swipe baby phone. That's disturbing, Um, but they have that. They have cars that you can actually control with your smartphone, which I thought was really interesting. One of them was red and black. It looked like a really hot car. I like that one. They have quadcopters that you can fly around that have HD cameras on these things that you can get aerial footage of your house or whatever you want. Amazing things, amazing things. Uh, But I will say this, that viewfinders and cap guns are still cool. You know what I'm saying? The old school. You remember those click viewfinders? Still awesome. I love looking at those things. Toys are great, and I think that they created memories for all of us that we can go back for. And so do, you, do any of you still have some of your old toys? All right. Maybe a couple things, but uh, be honest. Do any of those toys enrich your life still? Maybe they do. But probably not many of those toys enrich your life. And yet at the time, you wanted those toys so much. So happiness in... In toys, it doesn't last, does it? Because the one year you wanted this one thing, and then the next year you want something else, and you 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 tend to move on. And so, kids and adults alike, I hope you have an awesome Christmas. I hope you get wonderful presents. I hope you have a ton of fun, and that you enjoy your gifts, and that you thank God for your gifts. But please understand that none of them will make you happy. Truly make you happy. You need something more to make you happy. Now, I don't want to be a Grinch, okay? But toys break, and they become obsolete, and they get boring, and we move on. And a lot of things in life are like that. They're fun for a time, but not a very long time. And I think that we all want deep happiness. I think we want lasting happiness. I think we want more than the happiness that toys offer. We all want to be happy and successful. No one begins their life with the ambition um, to be miserable and to be unsuccessful. We don't strive to despair and uh, failure. And so we want to be happy and we want to live a prosperous life. And so we make choices based upon what we believe will bring us happiness and prosperity. So What we believe is really, really important. Our beliefs always influence our choices. The book of Psalms is a compilation of 150 poems, Hebrew poems, or songs. 
And it's a songbook. It's a hymnal, if you would, that are filled with songs from God, songs that make you feel, songs that make you think. God speaks through these songs. And Psalm 1 is a sort of introduction to the whole collection or songbook of songs. And we don't know who wrote Psalm 1, but whoever it was, they brilliantly captured a contrast between two different lifestyles. Really, the only two lifestyles that anyone ever lives, the blessed life and the wicked life, the blessed life and the wicked life. You are living, all of us are living one of those two lifestyles. Song one begins with, blessed is the man. Blessed means to receive and enjoy the divine favor of God, to possess good of every kind, basically to be happy, to be happy. Some people make a distinction between happiness and joy, but you see, the Bible never makes that distinction. The Bible talks a whole lot about blessedness or happiness. God is even said in the scriptures to be blessed or happy. Now, happiness can be superficial if it's found in superficial things, but it doesn't have to be. Happiness can be profound. Happiness can glorify God if God is the ultimate source of happiness. Psalm 1 is talking about that kind of happiness. It's a transcendent happiness, the happiness found only in God himself. The Bible also talks about prosperity and success, which is also often redefined in our culture. It's often misunderstood, but God is actually interested in your success. So if you want to be truly happy and successful in the fullest sense of those terms, then Psalm 1 is absolutely for you. Because it's going to describe what a truly happy and successful person's life looks like, even what they are at the core. So our focus today is going to be on three things. Number one, what happy and successful people don't do and why. Number two, what happy and successful people do do and why. And number three, who happy and successful people are and why. First, what happy and successful people don't do and why. The song begins with what a happy and successful person doesn't do. In verse 1, man, that term man, is a representative example of what a godly person is. Blessed or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Happy and successful people don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? They're godless people. Godless people who don't think they need God. They do their own thing. The sad thing is wicked people are controlled by their sin and they live a life beneath the wrath and judgment of God. The wicked view the world in a distorted way, yet they believe they're experts on happiness, that they know how to grab true happiness. And so they try to sell us that philosophy in a myriad of ways. The wicked give you their counsel through music, through movies, through the media, through mainstream culture. They even do it over a cup of coffee. Sometimes their delusions are obvious. Other times they're subtler and harder to discern. Someone once said, let me write the songs of a nation, and I care not who writes its laws. 
That's interesting. Mainstream music and television and film are all persuasive counselors giving the same advice. It's all about you. It's all about you. Pursue whatever makes you happy. If you want it, get it. Have it. Do it. Give it. Say it. Prove it. Be it. Consume it. It's all about you. The advice of the wicked is simple. You don't need God to be happy. Now, I didn't talk to the guys in the back. Do we have that video queued up or did I not send it? I didn't send it. Shoot. It was a commercial from feelunique.com. It'd be worth writing down just to check out the commercial. And it's really a good synopsis of what our culture says their philosophy is. And it's just these people, I think it's, you know, put something on your face, makeup, whatever you call that. And it's these people saying, me, me, it's all about me, 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 me. And that's what culture says. It's all about you. It's all about me. Get what you want. Do what you want. Happy and successful people don't allow the counsel of the wicked to invade their worldview and dictate their lifestyle. John Calvin said this, quote, that we may be fully apprised of our danger. It is necessary to remember that the world is fraught with deadly corruption and that the first step to living well is to renounce the company of the ungodly, otherwise it is sure to infect us with its own pollution. End of quote. Proverbs 4.14 says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Why do you think God warns us like that? Why would he warn us? Happy and successful people don't stand in the way of sinners. Now, what does that mean? Imagine this stubborn little kid who is standing in front of the television and he refuses to move. When asked to move, no, he's standing right there. And by standing there in front of the television, he is making the statement, I am going to continue to stand here because I want to. And so they stand, and you're like, I want to see the television. So to stand in the way of sinners is to take a stand and do what sinners do. Happy and successful people don't get on the path of sinners and tread and march right alongside of them. They'd rather not be on the highway to hell. Thank you, ACDC. Truly happy and successful people look ahead to see where the way of sinners ends. And they notice that though it is wide and though it looks easy, it leads to destruction. And so they they opt for the road less traveled. And it really does make all the difference. Happy and successful people don't sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, we don't use the term scoffers much. At least I don't. Maybe you do. But I think we all know who the scoffers are. They are the people who treat God and spiritual things with great contempt. They mock the sacred. Our modern-day sitcoms are filled with scoffers. The new atheism movement is as well. Our colleges, universities, and grad schools all across America are taught by scoffers and attended by scoffers. You hear their voices in the ACLU and Planned Parenthood, and you read them in plenty of magazines. Scoffers are absolutely everywhere. 
Now, if I'm not mistaken, I think in the Pennsylvania legislature, there are 253 seats. 50 for state senators, 203 for state representatives. If one of those seats has your name on it, and you should be sitting there, then you belong to the Pennsylvania General Assembly. To sit in the seat of scoffers is to be part of their assembly. Happy and successful people don't pull up a chair at the table to mock what is holy, good, and sacred. Think about it. Why sit at the table, figuratively speaking, with those who are mocking what is most precious to you? You have no seat there. Happy and successful people respectfully sit at another table. Here's why happy and successful people don't do these things. We've got to be clear on this. It's not because they can't see the potential thrill offered by a sinful lifestyle. We need to be honest about this as Christians. Sin provides a certain level of excitement and thrill and pleasure. That's why people do it. This is not hard to understand. But what we need to understand is sin is a temporary pleasure that yields unbearable eternal consequences. Sin works kind of like the illegal drug crystal meth. Okay, Give you a little lesson on crystal meth this morning. Our brains produce a chemical called dopamine which actually triggers uh, our feelings of pleasure in life. And so dopamine is a really good thing. God created dopamine. It is used for our advantage. It's really good. One hit of crystal meth floods the brain with dopamine, which results in an immediate and extreme spike in pleasure. Okay, but there's a significant catch with that. The pleasure high can only last for up to 12 hours. When dopamine levels fall, and they absolutely will, and the pleasure high is over, and it absolutely will be, your brain ends up crashing, which causes extreme anxiety, extreme fatigue, extreme depression, and even paranoia. But the problem is worse. These extreme dopamine highs eventually cause your body to stop producing dopamine, and the systems responsible for dopamine production start burning out. They start shutting down. So make the connection here. The pleasure high ends up killing your ability to experience pleasure. One website said this, withdrawal from the drug brings on an excruciating depression that is so deep and dark, users will do almost anything to avoid it, making recovery extremely difficult and relapse common unless users seek appropriate treatment. While giving you momentary, intense, and incredible pleasure that we all desire, crystal meth is at the same time killing your ability to experience pleasure in the future. And my friends, sin does this. We think it's great. We get immersed. We're attracted to it. We want that thrill. We want that excitement. But each hit is taking us away from the source of our greatest happiness. Sin dulls our sense of true happiness. And one other thing, crystal meth can cause heart attacks and strokes and can spike your body temperature uncontrollably, uncontrollably, which can lead to hyperthermia, all of which can kill you immediately on the spot. It sounds like sin. A lot of times God is gracious and we don't die immediately for our sin, but sometimes we do. 
The problem with seeking our happiness in momentary pleasures of this world is this. That which starts out as the source of our happiness in time inevitably becomes the source of our unhappiness. Think about that. But by the grace of God alone, happy and successful people don't sit around envying the lives of the wicked. Because they can see through their lifestyle to where it ends. To see who the wicked really are at the core. Number one, the wicked are not alive. Verse four says that the wicked are not like the strong, healthy, beautiful, and alive tree that produces good fruit. It says the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. You know what chaff is? It's, it's all that dead stuff, the husk that comes around the seed that is worthless. It gets cracked and it blows away in the wind. It's separated from the good seed. In his wrath, God will carry the wicked away. Number two, the wicked produce no fruit. Since the wicked are not alive, they certainly don't produce fruit. They live for themselves. They don't live for the, the good of other people. They don't live for the glory of God. Number three, the wicked ultimately fail like a tree with no water the wicked shrivel up and die without God. Number four, the wicked will crumble beneath God's judgment. Verse five says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. So when God's final judgment day comes and his justice comes, the wicked will not stand tall. The wicked will not be confident. They will be crushed beneath God's wrath. Number five, the wicked, sinners, will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. This This is a haunting truth, a very scary truth. Many people will not see heaven, ever. They will not join those who by grace through faith are counted as righteous in God's sight. Unrepentant sinners will not go to heaven. The wicked will never taste the the unbelievable delights of the marriage supper of the lamb because they were never clothed in the righteousness of Christ and therefore are completely unfit to be there. Number six, the wicked will perish in their lifestyle. Cass, thank you for reading scripture. And if you listen, she emphasized they will perish. And that should hit us. I mean, that should move us They will perish in their lifestyle. God makes it very clear. The way of the wicked will perish. My friends, there is absolutely nothing appealing in the way of the wicked. There is nothing there for us. There is nothing good. That doesn't have a good ending. And happy and successful people understand that. Let's go to what happy and successful people do and why. God doesn't just say, don't do that, or stop doing that. That's not the message of the gospel. I hope when you read your your copy of God's word that that's not what you're walking away with. He goes further than that. He says, instead, do this. Instead, do this. Because it's much, 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 much better. Happy and successful people delight in the law of the Lord. The Hebrew word here is Torah, meaning law. And in verse 2, it means the teaching of God, that is the rule of life for his people. Through the millennia, God has taught his people. 
And his teaching has been documented. We, we read it. God speaks through written word, words on a page. God's teaching is more desirable than the counsel of the wicked. So happy and successful people delight in it. Now, what does it mean to delight in the instruction of the Lord? It means to recognize the inherent worth of it, the inherent beauty and majesty and glory and helpfulness and wisdom, and to feel great favor toward his word. To be drawn to God's law because it is desirable and reveals God himself and to take pleasure in it. In him, as you consume it, to delight in the law of the Lord is to crave hearing from God who is precious to you. You know, I want you to think about this. One of the reasons poor church attendance is so serious in people's lives is that it communicates their lack of delight in God's word. Their poor church attendance actually communicates, I don't want to hear God's instruction proclaimed because I don't believe it makes much difference. I don't really need it. I don't really crave it. I don't need to sit under it. So I'll prioritize other things and then when I have to, I'll go. God's instruction is worth way more, infinitely more than all of the wealth and riches of the world. It gives happiness and strength to those who delight in it. John Calvin said that you're only a worthy student of God's law when you come to it, quote, with a cheerful mind and are so delighted with its instructions as to account nothing more desirable or delicious than to make progress therein. Could it be that we have such little happiness and joy and success Because we are so easily amused by special effects, cover stories, screen time, and what our headphones are telling us, that the greater pleasures of God on a written page are completely drowned out? Could we be amusing ourselves away from our greatest happiness and success? The happiest and most successful people delight in God's word. They delight in his book. And it awakens their slumbering affections. The deeper they dig into it, the more it fuels their happiness, the more it fuels their success. But it also does something else. It stimulates their minds. Happy and successful people meditate on the law of the Lord day and and night. You know, meditation is not some weird Middle Eastern ritual. It's not yoga all right? We can get weird images in our head when we hear meditation. Meditation is the joyful and profitable discipline of giving careful attention and thought to God's law. Like a sleuth that is looking around for clues, happy and successful people look carefully into God's law to find God himself. Did you know that your happiness and success can be increased by thinking. That's something worth thinking about. But you have to think long and hard about the right things, namely the law of God, the word of God, the communication of God. You might enjoy a clean house. Now, if you're going to enjoy a clean house, you do the hard work of cleaning up so you can enjoy the benefits of a clean house. 
Happy and successful people meditate on the law of the Lord precisely because they delight in it. The mind works alongside of the heart as you think you enjoy. And God blesses those who meditate on his word day and night. Listen to what Joshua 1.8 says. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Do you see how that works? You see where the prosperity and the success is linked to? Trust in God and his word. Only the fool expects to be happy and prosperous apart from meditating on God's word and applying it. Now, can you read your Bible for 24 hours a day? No. And you know what? Take relief in this. God doesn't want you to either. Okay? He wants you to live. The point. He wants you to store up his word in your mind and in your heart so that throughout the day you can think about it. Throughout the day you ponder it. Throughout the day you savor it and you chew on it and you apply it to everything in your life. God says not to walk in the counsel of the wicked because there is a better way to walk in the counsel of his law. Psalm 119 verse 24 says, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Meditating on God's law, on his word, yields this incredible counsel for your life, this wisdom that is immediately practical and yields this wonderful knowledge of God and and he meets you there. Why live to be misinformed by the way of the wicked? It makes no sense. It's insanity. So here's why happy and successful people do these things. They delight in God's law. They meditate on his law day and night because of who they are and what they want to be. Who they are and what they want to be. Here's who happy and successful people are and why. And it's no secret. God tells us, who happy and successful people are and why. So if you want to be happy and successful, if that's of interest to you, okay, you should listen to what God says about being happy and successful and and, and what you need to be at the core to be happy and successful. Lifestyle is determined by identity. This is who happy and successful people are at the core And God uses this beautiful illustration of a healthy and strong and green fruit tree to make the point. Number one, happy and successful people, they are close to God. He is like a tree planted by streams or channels or canals of water. The the fruit tree is not planted in this dry dust out in the middle of nowhere where there is no water, because that would kill the tree. The fruit tree is planted close to the steady stream uh, or flow of living water, life-giving water, the source of life, happiness, and success is God. And the truly blessed person lives in close fellowship with God who steadily supplies them with life and truth and joy. Number two, they are firmly planted in God's word. Firmly planted in God's word. Verse 3 means that the tree is firmly planted. It's not just planted. It has a deep root system. It has deep roots that drink in the water from the streams, and it is anchored. Jeremiah the prophet uses the same imagery of a tree. Check this out. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, 
whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. You see, a tree by a a stream doesn't fear heat. It doesn't fear drought because it constantly drinks and soaks up the water from the stream that has an endless supply. When the heat and drought of life come, and dear brother and sister, you and I know both, they come. It gets hot sometimes. God turns up the heat, and we're like, man, this is really uncomfortable right now. I need strength. I need to be refreshed. There is a drought. I'm in a spiritual drought right now. Happy and successful people are anchored. They're anchored. They have a deep root system that soaks in life and strength from God himself and from his truth. Beautiful imagery. Number three, they are producers of fruit for the enjoyment of others and glory of God. Healthy trees with deep roots that are planted by streams of water yield delicious fruit in their season, and that fruit is meant to be picked and eaten and enjoyed. That's what fruit is for, right? We love fruit. Happy and successful people do good works that glorify God and benefit others. They do good works because, this is very important, their identity, because they belong to Christ. That's, that's where the good works come out of who they are. Remember Jesus in John 15 when he said, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Apart from me, you can do... Don't, you can't do anything apart from Christ. Even the unbeliever, everything that he does is by grace that God gives him and keeps him alive till the final judgment day when the wicked will be judged and perish. We can't do it apart from Christ, but with Christ, imagine the fruit that can be produced for the benefit of others, for the joy of others, for the peace of others, and for the glory of God. Number four, they are spiritually healthy and growing. Notice in verse three that the foliage of the tree does not wither. That's because it's an alive and growing tree. It's, it's, a, it's, it's strong. Hebrew scholars uh, Kyle and Delich wrote this. The green foliage is an emblem of faith which converts the water of life of the divine word into sap and strength. That's good. That's helpful. Happy and successful people place their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Their vibrant faith is evidence that they are indeed spiritually healthy and that they are growing and that they are maturing. You can tell that happy and successful people are alive spiritually. You can tell it. Just watch them for a little bit and it comes out. Watch how they grieve. It comes out. They'll show you that they're alive. Number five, they are prosperous in everything. This is such a wonderful and scary verse because we can twist this on its head. So hang with me here. The songwriter adds this. In all that he does, he prospers. The blessed man is a prosperous man. 
Now, what does prosperity mean? Mm, Pay close attention. Is it wealth and possessions? Will God just give you a million bucks, and if you don't have it, you are not faithful and don't have enough faith? Is that it? We need to be very careful. I think we understand prosperity through several clues from the text. See if we can get this from Psalm 1. Verses 1 and 2 talk about the blessed man living a holy life, delighting in and meditating on God's word. That's a clue. Verse 3 mentions fruit. That's a clue. I think prosperity or success must include, for it to be true prosperity and true success in the fullest sense, must include bearing spiritual fruit through a life of obedience to God. God blesses what is done for his glory. The New Testament talks about the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of the Spirit, neither of which must include wealth. So prosperity might include wealth because we are the richest nation on planet Earth. We live in the Disneyland of America. We have everything. You're rich. I'm rich. We tell our kids, which is a little dangerous, we're rich. Because comparatively speaking, look at the world. We live in the lap of luxury. And where does that come from? God. God has prospered us. God has given us those things. Because he's gracious and he loves us, wealth can be accumulated. But for it to be true happiness and success or prosperity and success, it absolutely must include, the, the, the biggest ingredient of it all must include spiritual fruit from obedience. You can be materially poor and still greatly prosperous, but you cannot be spiritually poor and prosperous in the fullest sense. Is that making sense? Blank stares. All right, hopefully it does. All right, number six, they are confident in the day of God's final judgment. It is implied in verse five that the righteous will stand in the judgment And the righteous are the truly happy and successful people. The righteous have nothing to fear. You have to, we got to get this. We as righteous people with the imputed righteousness of Christ given to us as a gift have nothing to fear at the final judgment of God. We are free. We are liberated. We have no guilt because of what Christ has done and we have his righteousness. So The righteous have nothing to fear in the final judgment day. They will stand tall. They will stand confident when God judges them because of the righteousness of Christ. Which brings us to number seven. They are counted among the congregation of the righteous. The congregation of the righteous is composed of all the people throughout history who trust, trusted in the person and work of Christ and therefore have received the righteousness of Christ by grace through faith. No one is counted among the righteous because of their own righteousness or something that they have done to amass a good enough record to please God. It doesn't work that way. Only because they trusted in the righteousness of Christ alone. And ultimately, where did the righteous congregate? Heaven is their home. That is where the great mass and congregation is for eternity. Happy and successful people are sons and daughters of God. 
justified by Christ. They are not guilty. They are free. They are unashamed. They have been blessed with an imperishable and undefiled and unfading inheritance that is kept in heaven just for them. It will be theirs. They will have it. Because of their union with Christ, they are fellow heirs with Christ. Just think about that. Fellow heirs with Christ. Because of him, we get it all. All right, number eight. They are known by God. This is who happy and successful people are. That's what these eight things are. They are known by God. The first line of verse six, when you read it, a bit tough to interpret. I had a problem. I'm still not sure if I know exactly what this means. God knows all things, right? And so, of course, he knows the way of the wicked as well as knows the way of the righteous. It's not like he's, well, I don't know what the righteous or what the wicked are doing. No, he knows all. So what verse 6 likely means is that God knows the way of the righteous in an intimate sense, with love, with affection, with fatherly approval, with joy. Perhaps it means that God is greatly pleased by the way of the righteous. Whatever it means, The righteous know God. The righteous know God. They are beloved children of God. That's who happy and successful people are at the core. That's their identity. They're in Christ. And I want to end by asking this question. How did happy and successful people become who they are? How do you become that? If you're not that, what I've just described, how do you become that? How does your heart be that? Three simple things from the text help us answer that question. Number one, blessedness is from God alone. The the very word blessed implies God's sovereign grace and favor. We deserve nothing, my friends, but God gives happiness and prosperity to display his sovereign grace, to show that he is a good God and he will bless even though it is unmerited and we don't deserve it. God makes people happy and successful. Number two, God is the one who plants the tree by the water, right? An arborist plants trees and waters them, and God saves people by his sovereign grace alone and nourishes and grows them by his sovereign grace alone through the power of his word and sovereign spirit alone. What would the tree be without the arborist and the water? It would be dead. It would not be growing. It would not be producing anything. God takes dead people, God takes wicked people, and he transforms them, and he makes them alive. He gives them life, and prosperity, and happiness, and success. Number three, I love this point. The term righteous points to Christ. It points to Christ. The Bible teaches that all of us are wicked, We are the sinners of this past. We are the scoffers of this passage. We are like chaff that blows away under the wrath of God. None of us could stand in the judgment or count ourselves part of the congregation of the righteous. Left in our sin, we will perish. We will perish without Jesus Christ. Christ is the only righteous man. Christ is the only truly happy man. He is the one who delights in the law of the Lord. He is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. And he is himself the fulfillment of the law of the Lord. So in Psalm 1, the blessed man, the happy man, the prosperous man is ultimately Christ alone. But the gospel says that the wicked 
can be made righteous. The gospel says, you getting that? You can say amen, you can rejoice, you can clap, because the wicked can be made righteous. How? They are made righteous when by their faith in Christ they receive the perfect righteousness of Christ as a gracious gift and God counts them as perfectly righteous. That's what we call sovereign grace. The righteousness that we all need to be counted among the congregation of the righteous is not found within ourselves. It is an alien righteousness. It is a foreign righteousness. It is a righteousness that sits at the right hand of God and his name is Jesus Christ. It is found in Christ alone and possessed by faith alone. No one can be truly happy and successful without repenting of their sins, hating their sin, turning from their sin, and trusting in the finished work of Christ alone for salvation and eternal life. Now let me ask you a question. Do you want to be truly happy and successful? Now, you might say, yeah, I really do, Pastor. I, I want to be happy. I want to be successful. I want to have what you're talking about. And then how quickly we run to other stuff. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a great Christmas. Love Christmas. I want you to open those toys, let the wrapping paper fly, and have a smile on your face. This, this is what I wanted. This is awesome. I got the Snoopy snow cone machine, finally, that made the unit. No? Okay. Never mind. But anyway, enjoy the gifts. Play with the gifts. Thank God for the gifts. But deep in your heart, cling to Christ. Cling to Christ and treasure him. Treasure his righteousness most. That's the gift that you have been given. That's the gift that is your treasure. Cling to Christ. Cling to his righteousness. Trust in him alone and find in him your greatest joy and pleasure forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ and his righteousness. We would perish without it. And this Christmas, we have every reason to rejoice in our gifts because they're only a sign that point us to a greater gift, the righteousness of Christ. And it is because of Jesus that we can be counted among the congregation of the righteous. It is because of Jesus that we can look at the way of the wicked and say, I know where that ends and I don't want to be on that road. I want to delight in the law of the Lord. I want to meditate on it day and night so that I will prosper in everything I do and I can gain the happiness that my soul so longs for. So God, we are so thankful that you have just told us the simple truth this morning. Right out of Psalm 1, a song that you wrote, a best-selling song. This is on the top of the charts every year. They just don't put it on the billboard charts because they don't like the Bible. So God, thank you for this song. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for Jesus and his righteousness. In his name we pray, amen.